Well, I'm going to start and finish today with confession. First, I've got to confess what I did to Steve. I pointed him in the wrong direction. Here's, here's what happened. During the week, uh, one of our speakers, which was being repaired, got brought back and I went to plug it in and uh, the cables to plug it in ran alongside the drums there. So um, I shifted the screen out of the way, went to get the cables, but it ran under some stands and some drum legs and so I, I picked those up and just lifted them out of the way a bit. I'll just put them back where I left them, that's, that's fine. But when I went to put them back together, um, it didn't quite fit together as easily as I thought it did and so I sort of, well, just have to shift that there and rotate that a little bit and that didn't seem quite right so I tweaked it again a little bit and went back, nah, it still doesn't look right. And I kept tweaking and in the end, as T Steve came in this morning and sat down at the drums, instead of being able to see the band, see, see Troy, he was actually looking out this way, which wasn't very helpful. But, here's the analogy, right now we're about to turn our attention to the Word of God and one of the, the phrases that we use to describe the Bible is the canon of Scripture. It's not just one book, it's a collection of books and it's not a canon like you shoot people with, it's an old word that means the, the measuring rod, it's the thing that we use to make sure that our life is lined up with God's will. And when we allow the Bible to set us up and to direct us, it always points us in what direction? points us to Jesus, helps us to fix our eyes on him and to follow him as his disciples. But so often in life, we make those little adjustments and those little tweaks and there are different pressures and different circumstances and different blunders and before you know it, you can be facing the complete wrong direction and going in a way that is not good for you and good for others. So we need God's word to line ourselves up with um, so that we can make sure that we are actually facing Jesus and following him as we ought to. So that's what we're going to do together now. And as we begin, how about I pray for us? God, thank you that uh, unlike me blundering around trying to set up a drum kit, you have actually given us a reliable guide uh, so that our lives can face Jesus, so that we can see him clearly, so that we can follow him in our daily lives and become more like him. So as we allow your word to do its work in our hearts, Lord, would you line us up with yourself today? Would you help us to turn away from those things that might be pulling us in wrong directions in life? Would you help us to see you clearly and to follow you more joyfully and to receive from you the things that only you can give us? Lord, we trust your word to be able to do that work in us today and we thank you for this opportunity. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, today uh, we are continuing to rewind our way through the book of Romans and if you're not familiar with the series that we've been doing in Romans we started at the end with this beautiful picture of what church life can be like uh, this community where uh, we're all playing our own parts in what God is doing in that community and we're becoming more and more like Jesus we're becoming closer to God and to one another and we're able to really experience the benefit of all the, the expressions of God's grace that he builds into his church but there are some things that can trip us over in the journey to being that kind of church, into, into being the community of people where we're all bringing something of God's goodness to one another and enriching one another. There are some things that are common obstacles to that. And a couple of weeks ago, we looked at one of those obstacles, which is the fact that so often you have people who genuinely want to please Jesus and genuinely want to do good in the world and genuinely want their lives to be right with God, 
but they have different ideas about what that actually means in practice. And sometimes even our strongly held convictions cannot line up with other Christians who have strongly held convictions. And, and that can cause division, it can cause hardship and hurt, and, and it can cause us to withdraw from one another. And as we read in Romans 15 and uh, further back in Romans 14, uh, we're given a template of how do you deal with those times when as followers of Jesus, you don't agree on every aspect of what following Jesus ought to look like. And maybe instead of being a disastrous thing that tears people apart, maybe the fact that we don't agree on everything when it comes to following Jesus actually helps us to keep the main things the main thing. Uh, and our differences can actually be a strength instead of a weakness. And we explored how that looked in Romans 14 and 15 a couple of weeks ago. Well, today we get into another one of the, the, the traps that we often fall into. And I know as I've read uh, Romans 12 and 13 uh, again over the last couple of weeks, I've recognized in my own heart and in my own life, there's something being identified here that very often trips us up and it trips me up. And I find that I experience hurt in my life and I um, unfortunately cause difficulty for others when I don't pay attention to what this says about how to deal with the uh, common trap that many of us face. So before I tell you what that is, let's just read the passage and then see what it is that it's actually saying to us about something that sometimes trips us over in our Christian life more than we would uh, like to realise. We're going to pick up the passage in Romans 12 and verse 9, which says, Love must be sincere. Hate what is evil. Cling to what is good. And we're going to pause right there because this sets the tone for the next chapter and a half that we're going to read together. Love must be sincere. What does that mean? Well, we all know what it's like when somebody says, I love you, but their actions don't really back that up. Um, they might be feeling it in the moment, but they don't actually carry through with a sense of conviction to do what is loving towards you. We've all done that. We've all experienced that. And we've all experienced what it's like when somebody acts in a way that seems loving, but the real motive of their hearts might be a bit more to do with self-interest or manipulation or there's something else going on. Love that is sincere is love where the feelings of the heart and the words expressed with our mouths and the actions in our lives are all lining up with one another. It's consistent. Uh, there's integrity, there's wholeness. It's not uh, actions that don't quite fit with, uh, that don't really reflect the true intentions. Uh, it's not stated intentions that don't match up with what the actual actions are. There's a consistency and a sincerity in how you love. And as an expression of that, we hate what is evil. We cling to what is good. And we're going to see in our passage how genuine love always causes us to do those two things. When you genuinely love God and you genuinely love others, you will hate what is evil and you will cling to what is good. So let's read through the passage and keep your eyes open for how that actually plays out. For a love to be promoted in a way that hates evil and clings to what is good. Let's read through from verse 10. Be devoted to one another in brotherly love. Honour one another above yourselves. Never be lacking in zeal, but keep your spiritual fervour serving the Lord. Be joyful in hope, patient in affliction, and faithful in prayer. Share with God's people who are in need. Practice hospitality. Bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse. Rejoice with those who rejoice. Mourn with those who mourn. Live in harmony with one another. Don't be proud, but be willing to associate with people of low position. Do not be conceited, 
Do not repay anyone evil for evil. Be careful to do what is right in the eyes of everybody. If it is possible, as far as it depends on you, live at peace with everyone. Do not take revenge, my friends, but leave room for God's wrath. For it is written, it is mine to avenge, I will repay, says the Lord. On the contrary, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he is thirsty, give him something to drink. In doing this, you will heap burning coals on his head. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. Everyone must submit himself to the governing authorities, for there is no authority except that which God has established. The authorities that exist have been established by God. Consequently, he who rebels against the authority is rebelling against what God has instituted. And those who do so will bring judgment on themselves. For rulers hold no terror for those who do right, but for those who do wrong. Do you want to be free from fear of the one in authority? Then do what is right, and he will commend you. For he is God's servant to do you good. But if you do wrong, be afraid, for he does not bear the sword for nothing. He is God's servant, an agent of wrath, to bring punishment on the wrongdoer. Therefore, it is necessary to submit to the authorities, not only because of possible punishment, but also because of conscience. This is also why you pay taxes, for the authorities are God's servants who give their full time to governing. Give everyone what you owe him. If you owe taxes, pay taxes. If revenue, then revenue. If respect, then respect. If honour, then honour. Let no debt remain outstanding. Accept the continuing debt to love one another, for he who loves his fellow man has fulfilled the law. The commandments, do not commit adultery, do not murder, do not steal, do not covet, and whatever other commandment there may be, are summed up in this one rule. Love your neighbour as yourself. Love does no harm to its neighbour, therefore love is the fulfilment of the law. And do this, understanding the present time. The hour has come for you to wake up from your slumber because our salvation is nearer now than when we first believed. The night is nearly over, the day is almost here. So let us put aside the deeds of darkness and put on the armour of light. Let us behave decently, as in the daytime, not in orgies and drunkenness, not in sexual immorality and debauchery, not in dissension and jealousy. Rather, clothe yourselves with the Lord Jesus Christ and do not think about how to gratify the desires of the sinful nature. Well, there's an awful lot to take in in those verses, isn't there? And normally we would take our time and go through them quite slowly and unpack all of the riches that God has put for us in that section of his word. But it's nice sometimes to remember that these letters were originally given and were read out in their entirety. And so it's good sometimes to read through a a section of scripture and to see what actually bubbles out. What are the things that God is wanting to put his finger on in your life and my life right now? And it'll be different for all of us. But also, what are those big themes that can keep reoccurring through those large portions of the text. What did you notice about the evil that we are to hate and the good that we are to cling to as we read through those various passages and what they addressed? You know something I saw? It's not so much that we are to battle against the evil that might be present in others, maybe those who persecute us or maybe in governments that are corrupt and are doing the wrong thing. It's not so much that we are to avoid those who do evil or maybe just seek out the company of those who do good, although there's nothing wrong with doing those things. In fact, it's wise. But that's not the focus of what Paul is speaking about 
in these passages as he's instructing God's people in how to live as those who hate evil and cling to good. Where is his focus? His focus is very clearly on how we first must battle evil in ourselves and choose the good instead. If you look at chapter 12 and verses 14 to 21, and I won't put it up on the screen for you again, hopefully you've got it in a device or in a hard copy in front of you, you look at those verses from verse 14 onwards and you see this uh, exhortation that when people treat you badly, how do you feel? You want to retaliate, right? You want to stand up for yourself. You want to get away from it. Uh, Whatever your approach might be, whether it's to flee or to fight, you don't want to put up with being treated evilly, wrongly. And you want to point it out. You want to make sure others know how wrong that person's actions may be. We hate being treated badly. But what have we been called to hate? We've actually been called to hate the evil that is within us even more. So we're being trained, we're being discipled by Paul in these verses to detect that part of us that wants to retaliate in kind and say, first, before you deal with what they're doing against you, first notice that you are tempted to do the same in return and get rid of that right away. Make sure you don't go down that path. In fact, rather than seeking to harm them in response, how about you turn that around and cling to the good? Bless them. Don't curse them. As far as it depends on you, live at peace with everyone. As far as it depends on you. In other words, in all that you can do, do it. Do whatever will lead to peace. That's going to require something significant in practice, isn't it? And as it gets to the end of that section, it says, don't be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. It's a high calling. We could move on to the first half of chapter 13, which shifts the focus to how we relate to those who are in authority over us. And even those pagan uh, governments that were over the Christians and sometimes were fine and kind of ignored what the Christians were up to. And at other times, they gave Christians a really hard time for their faith. They demanded that Christians join in with the worship of the emperor and in many cases put to death or um, inflicted other punishments on those who would not. Governments weren't kind to Christians Uh, in a lot of places and a lot of times but yet how were Christians to respond to these governments that were over them with submission and with obedience and by paying their taxes and doing all of those things that they could in order to support good government knowing that those governments would give an account to God just as each of us give an account to God and we must hate the idea of doing wrong by our government even in circumstances where government is not doing what we think they ought to do, or they are even actively doing what is wrong toward us. In those times when it's a struggle to want to support them, Paul's clear, support them anyway. And the second half of chapter 13 wraps it all up. It says, love is the fulfillment of all of God's laws. Love never harms anyone else, therefore love is the fulfillment of all of God's commands which tell us how to avoid doing that in every specific circumstance. And where we might be tempted to treat people the way we think they deserve to be treated, what does the law of love tell us to do? To treat others the way we, not are being treated, but the way we would like to be treated. That's the essence of the Christian ethic, to never do them harm to never act evilly toward others, but to do only what is good, knowing that our time on earth is short. It's tough. 
in this moment to love those who make our lives difficult. It's really tough. But our time here is short. We keep our eyes on eternity where God is the righteous judge and he will reward uh, those who do good and he will punish those who do evil whose sins have not been covered by Christ, who have not turned to him in faith for their forgiveness. So every day that passes is a day closer to being with God. Let's get rid of every evil attitude. Let's get rid of every evil thought and behaviour that doesn't fit with him. Let's clothe ourselves with the Lord Jesus Christ to cling to his goodness and make it our own. It's a really simple idea that Paul is applying in this chapter and a half. But isn't it a tough idea to live out in practice? Have you ever found it? It's a tough thing to live out in practice. So we're going to apply this simple idea of not retaliating, not treating others in the way that we've been treated, not indulging the stuff inside that wants to treat people evilly, but seeking to do good as Christ has called us to. What are some ways that that plays out in our society at the moment um, that we can think about and be challenged by about how we're going to go away and obey this command to live the Christian ethic? I want to apply this principle, first of all, to a couple of very public issues uh, that we probably will know about and so we can have something in common. And then we're going to move to our own private worlds and ask God what he wants to put his finger on in our own private lives. It's been a a controversial last month or so in Australian sport. Who follows sport? All right. And the rest of you aren't Australians. Okay, so... (laughs) No, 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 sorry, that was very rude of me. Um, sport is almost like the national religion, isn't it? It's, it's, it's big in the media. If anything's going on in the sporting world, most people, even if they loathe sport, which is a fair number of us, let's be honest, you still you're going to know what's going on because it's just our culture. Uh, and so at the beginning of October, there was a huge furor in the Australian sporting landscape because the Essendon Football Club appointed a uh, Christian chap who was the chairman of the board in his church as its CEO. Did anyone notice that that was going on? It was all over the media, everywhere, wasn't it? It was a huge media frenzy. And, of course, he was forced to resign after only one day in the job. And uh, what happened was as soon as uh, this fellow uh, was appointed, Andrew Thorburn, uh, numerous people who had uh, positions of authority in government, in the business world, in media and so on, kind of jumped on this bandwagon, uh, kind of accusing him of uh, homophobia and bigotry and and not adhering to the values of the Essendon Football Club, which were all about tolerance and respect and inclusiveness and so on. Um, They claimed his church's values were at odds with Essendon's values because of a sermon that had been preached 10 years ago uh, which um, outlined, basically, the Christian sexual ethic, which does not fit with the sexual ethic of our age. And people claimed that the church's values were therefore at odds with Essendon's values and therefore he couldn't serve as a, a leader in that sense and also be a leader in the football club as well. Uh, there was a, a conflict there in, in the views of many. And so he was forced to decide. Either you give up playing a leadership role in your church, uh, which believes things that the football club doesn't believe, or you um, give up being a leader in our football club. You can't do both. And many people felt that that was perfectly logical because clearly they hold different beliefs and different values. But were they actually different beliefs and different values? Um, Did anyone do the research to find out whether he actually treated people with respect and tolerance and inclusion? 
even though he believed things that were different to what other people might believe in practice. That didn't seem to get a lot of focus at the time. And I don't know if you were as frustrated as I was about the way that whole argument was framed and the way that certain interest groups were able to make it clear, we don't want anyone who is committed to a traditional Christian ethic to be in any position of leadership in any public institution. Sporting club, politics, education, business, anything that the public is interested in and influenced by, we do not want those people to have any influence here. And they won. Is anyone else concerned about that? I am. We had a conversation with uh, people who uh, work in business and it's like, um, I've, I've got to be honest with you guys, the fact that you attend this church may cost you your job in years to come. And that seems a little bit alarmist, but is it? Given what we've just seen? Given that we too have material online that people could dig into and say, ah, they believe this. How dare you hold a position in our community if you go to that church? We have to think those things through very, very carefully, don't we? And I'm worried about what this incident signals for our country, where we're going. I think it's evil, the way that it played out. And I'm tempted to go into the battle and say, right, we're we're not going to let this slide. Now, Romans says, hate what is evil. Brilliant, I'm taking on this evil. But where did it tell me to start? Didn't tell me to start with the evil out there, did it? It told me to start with what's in here. That's got to be what we are most concerned about. So we know what it felt like to be defamed and to have Christians painted in a certain light. And we thought, that's not fair. We're actually the champions of tolerance and inclusion and respect. Those are Christian values. You can't steal those and claim that we don't even have them. Uh, There was a sense of injustice there about how we were being portrayed and and the concern about where that's going to lead to. Um, But our job is not to respond and put up the fists in battle. But what what is it like for us to show by our actions... No, no, we actually want to be people of tolerance and inclusion and respect and we want to hear your concerns and we want to respond to them and we want to reassure and we want to understand and if there are hurts there that are making you angry and causing you to want to go to war against us, we want to find out what's behind that and it may be that you're just really, really um, antagonistic or maybe there's some hurts there and maybe... There are some people who own the label Christian who have done some things that have hurt you and maybe we can kind of own up to that and say, you know, we're, we're sorry about that. That's, that's not what, who we are and what we want to be about. Maybe being more interested in finding out whether we have anything to repent of is more important than poking the finger and saying, you guys have plenty to repent of. You did really wrong. Do you get what Paul is driving at as he says, first put the attention on yourself. Uh, First, be most concerned about what you might need to deal with and leave all of that other big picture stuff to God. Now, does God call Christians to be involved in the public square and to have these discussions? Yes, he does. But he calls us always first to worry about ourselves. And so I do get worried about online petitions and and articles and opinion pieces flying back and forth because I think sometimes it's just making it easier for people to tribalize and say, we're we're not going to put up with this. Guys, let's let's just be Christian first. Um, and maybe simply being Christian and treating others the way that God calls us to treat them will be enough that in the long term people will see what is true. Um, And maybe continuing the fight isn't actually going to advance our cause as much as we might think it will. So how are we doing that? 
How is looking after our own hearts and being who God's called us to be more important to us than dealing with the behaviour of others, no matter how much concern it might cause us? But we do love a bit of controversy, don't we? We love to kind of see something that goes on somewhere else and say, Oh, those people! Netball's had its turn over the last couple of weeks. Has anyone tuned into the netball controversy? Go woke, go broke. Take that, you scumbags. You just lost 15 million. Uh, there's been a lot of, lot of uh, controversy over stuff that's happened in that space. And hasn't that been a tragedy too? But the funny thing about what happened, and for those who um, aren't aware, uh, an Indigenous player um, was uncomfortable wearing the logo of a mining company. And originally, people were saying it's because you know, these woke people are um, not happy with mining generally and they don't want to accept mining money. Uh, then the story came out, no, it's actually comments made by Lang Hancock, I think it's 40-odd years ago, um, about Indigenous people. And they were terrible comments, just absolutely terrible. Um, essentially saying... and. Unfortunately, we've got to admit, this was a common view at the time, uh, that for those uh, Indigenous people who weren't assimilating into what was called civilised society, that uh, we would be better off and they would be better off if they were uh, kind of doped up, I think were his words, and uh, sterilised effectively, so that they weren't able to reproduce. What a horrible thing to say about a whole group of people. Um, and so uh, this First Nations athlete, a Noongar woman, was uncomfortable wearing the logo of that man's company as she went out to represent Australia as an Indigenous athlete. I get it. Um, and her teammates, they felt uncomfortable too. And, and instead of having the freedom to discuss this and work this through, it just seemed to blow up really quickly. And just like many people like me, were really concerned about the way that those progressives jumped on Andrew Thorburn and without even finding out the full story or doing proper research, just thought, Here, here's an opportunity to put those guys in their place. It was the other crowd, it was the conservative ones jumping up and down and saying, oh, there's those woke people, those progressive, you know, liberal whatevers. Um, and it was just a different group of people but exhibiting exactly the same behaviour, not caring about the person, saying, oh, here's an opportunity to, to advance our argument about all that's wrong in the world and people get hurt truth gets compromised and and it's so tempting to wade in there with our opinions thinking that we know what's going on and we have something to say about this what would it be like if in situations like that we were able to just step back and say you know what i'm just going to love people the way that i think god calls me to and i'm going to treat others the way that i would like to be treated if i was in that situation whether I'm on this side of the discussion or that side of the discussion, what if we can suck the, the fuel off that fire and just love people the way that God calls us to? What if we're less interested in proclaiming the sins of others than actually owning our own and being serious about doing something about it? See, our, our culture is discipling us to go to war. That's what's going on. That's, that's what the media frenzy is all about. And we could talk about the structural issues that are causing that to happen, and ultimately it mostly comes down to money that's fueling it. But, but regardless, what we're seeing is increasing tribalization, increasing hostility, uh, a decreasing interest in the actual truth of a situation and in treating people what we would understand as Christianly and, and a willingness to just wade in there um, and go to war against other people in our opinions and our actions. Our culture is training you to do that. And it's in these moments where we get to line ourselves up with God's word that we come to say, well, God wants to disciple us to a different way of living. Not to wade into the fight, but to actually...
be more concerned about our own hearts and about whether we are treating people the way God calls us to treat them. To be more interested in overcoming our own sins than we are in proclaiming and punishing the sins of others. That's what God wants to do in us. That's the people that God is creating us to be as we listen to his word. Not to treat others the way that we've been treated, not to retaliate and return fire, not to each have our turn at jumping on the bandwagon, but to love people and to care about our impact upon them. To do everything we can to live at peace with them, to bless them, not curse them, to do good to them. It's true in the public space, in how we participate in all these issues, as you can guarantee there's going to be another one and another one and another one. It's how we participate in our public discussions, how we talk about that with our friends and so on. But it's also true in our private worlds. And I don't know what that looks like for you, but just as there's been controversy in the public space over uh, the last month in the sporting uh, clubs of our our nation, um, there's been controversy in your world too. Maybe it's been in your workplace, maybe it's been in your family, maybe it's been in the retirement home that you live in or the school that you attend or the university or whatever it might be. Um, But there are people who have mistreated you, there are people who are mistreating each other um, and we are just as likely to wade in there and return fire. What does it look like for us to be more interested in diagnosing the sin in our own hearts and letting God change us and instead clinging to what is good and treating people with goodness than we are in responding in kind to those sorts of things that are going on around us. What might that look like for you? There's two basic ways that I think we can apply what Romans 12 and 13 are urging us to do in the public space as it talked about our interaction with government in their situation and in the private space when it talked about people who actually mistreat you personally. Both those things are true for us. We're in a public world where we're online and we're in groups and we're talking about current issues that we have in common And we're also in our own personal spaces where we're interacting with others and some of those sometimes aren't that helpful. Here's a question for us. Is there someone who you can't bring yourself to love in a way that God has loved you? Where Romans 12 particularly uh, and the end of Romans 13 invites us to bless those who persecute us, do good to those who mistreat us. Is there someone when you just can't see yourself doing good to that person? Sometimes it's in the heat of battle, where in the midst of an argument, you're so hurt about what's been said about you or to you, you can't see yourself just wanting to understand that person. You want to to justify yourself, or you want to correct that misunderstanding, or you want to do something along those lines. Where do you struggle to love people the way they need to be loved? And is there a situation that you're facing in your life at the moment where you have that uncomfortable call from the Holy Spirit who lives inside you and understands everything that's going on in your heart to say, I think you need to deal with this today. Um, you might not be able to get every, you know, the whole journey, but to at least take a step toward a heart which is wanting to do good to somebody who's mistreated you. Um, please don't put yourself into a situation of false guilt where you need to think that all of a sudden you'd just be overflowing with love and good thoughts. No, it's, it's harder work than that. But it is a journey we need to be taking. It's a direction we need to be facing. Are you willing to take that journey? And what is God saying to you about what that might look like? And secondly, is there some sin in your life, and particularly the end of chapter 13 talks about this, that you want to be free from, some goodness that you want to take hold of? Because generally, where we're having trouble 
doing good to others, it's usually because there's something inside us that hasn't yet been dealt with. Maybe it's pride, maybe it's greed, maybe it's resentment, whatever it is that's, that's festering away inside. Well, who will you share that with who can support you in your obedience to God? I want to remind you, if you weren't here last week, it's not a reminder, it's, it's, it's just telling you, but uh, we saw at the beginning of chapter 12 um, that all of this is only possible when we first remember what God's done for us and we give ourselves first to Him as an act of worship. But then it goes on straight away to say, and don't think that you can do this on your own. Don't think more highly of yourselves than you ought to. You need each other. Uh, that's the Christian life. We need to do this as an act of worship to God because He's been so good to us. He's given us everything we need. But we also need each other's help in the journey as well. So what will these two things look like for you this week? On, uh, during the week, I sat with a couple of guys and uh, we're, we're going through a book together and the chapter we were looking at was about sin in our lives. And we had the task of confessing our sins to one another. Who's ever been in a group where you've done that? Scary, scary as. You, know, you're, you think before you get to the, the meeting, now how much will I tell? <laughs> will I just, or, or will I explain it in such a way that it doesn't seem so bad? Because you know, we worry about what people think of us often. But you know what, when, you, when, when you're in a group and you just open and say, you know what, this is what I've been thinking, this is what I've been feeling, this is what I did, how stupid is that? Um, but when you can just own it and realise you're not alone and there are people who will pray with you and help you step out of that and grow out of that, that's pretty powerful, it's pretty liberating. So what might that look like for you this week? To have, be part of a community where you don't have to hide, no one's perfect, uh, we're on the journey of helping one another to be this kind of people that Romans calls us to be. Now, churches that focus on condemning sin in others, this is true every single time. When your main focus is condemning sin in others, you always promote hypocrisy in yourself. That is just human nature. And if you haven't seen that, just read all of the Gospels and see how Jesus relates to the people of his day. On the other hand, churches that focus on confessing their own sins promote holiness to others, and that's what we want. We want to be different. We want to be free from evil and doing good in the world. And we want other people to be tasting God's goodness. But we only get there when we're honest with our own need to confess and leave behind some stuff. So that's how we're going to close today. We're going to pray with us. We're going to do it in an unhurried way because we've all got heart stuff um, that we need to turn away from. And we've got the good stuff that we need to cling to. And we're going to invite God to do that work in us now. So let's bow and pray. God, again, we thank you for your word, which is such a gift to us um, and it's pointing us to Jesus when we have drifted away. And God, I thank you for the call in this part of your word to turn away from our sin, to not treat people in the way that they've treated us necessarily um, and to not excuse the wrong treatment of others but rather to have our attention on Jesus and to be so thankful for all that he's done for us to be so dependent on all that he has offered to do for us that we instead choose to live differently. We choose to hate evil in all its forms, not just because of how it impacts us, but because of how it would cause us to treat others. And we turn away from it in order to cling on to what is good. Lord, we ask that you would help us to have a love for you and for others that is sincere. And love cannot be sincere when we allow evil to stay in our hearts, when we allow ourselves to do evil toward others. So God, would you help us in this moment to just discern 
where there are some thoughts, some attitudes or some things that we've been doing that don't actually fit with how you've asked us to be as people and treat other people. And Lord, it might be really hard to turn away from that. But through your spirit, would you give us the strength to make that decision, to face our lives in a different direction? Would you give us the humility to know that uh, we should not think of it more highly of ourselves than we ought, just as uh, the earlier part of chapter 12 says, but to recognize that we need each other. We need help on this journey. Would you help us to speak truth in love to one another, to pray for one another, to assist one another in whatever ways that are needed in order to leave behind the stuff that doesn't fit with Jesus? So God, give us the humility to ask for the help that we need today, I pray. God, we look forward to living lives of holiness. We look forward in a world where there is increasing hostility, increasing tribalization, uh, increasing a lack of willingness to pause and to listen and to understand and, and an eagerness to just jump on the bandwagon of opinions and finger pointing. Would you help us instead to give a different flavor? Would you help us to show something truly attractive that every human being longs for? as we refuse to join in that circus and instead follow the path of Christ. And we pray that this might achieve your good purposes in the lives of all those who you want to bless and bring into your family. We pray this in Christ's mighty name. Amen.